0: Welcome to the program. I'm Jeff Sheckman. Often, it seems, we are simply surrounded by too much information in the workplace. Today, it's not enough to just stay on top of one's career and professional knowledge and development. There are also the changing dynamics of the workplace itself. Multi-generational, multi-gender, multi-age, and the seeming increase in sensitivity and scrutiny. The irony is that it is this very diversity that carries within it the seeds and the power to help us understand it and strive to frictionlessly navigate all of its constituent parts. In fact, it is only by this very diversity that businesses can really succeed in today's environment. We're going to talk about this with my guest, Lauren Rickling. She's the founder and president of the Rickling Institute for Strategic Leadership, which is a provider of training, speaking, and consulting services to professional organizations. Her speaking, training, consulting, and writing has addressed such topics as strengthening multi-generational teams, women's leadership and advancement, and minimizing the impact of unconscious bias. It is my pleasure to welcome Lauren Stiller-Rickling here to talk about her book, The Shield of Silence, How Power Perpetuates a Culture of Harassment and Bullying in the Workplace. Lauren, thanks so much for joining us.
1: Well, thank you so much for talking to me. Well, it's great to have you here. Talk a little bit about
0: the culture of businesses, the culture of organizations. Sometimes it seems they're kind of set from the beginning, and that they're, they're trying to change them and trying to adapt to the reality today, which we'll talk some more about, is such an uphill battle. Talk about that.
1: Well, I think your initial question is the most critical line of all. And one of the things I try so hard to convey in the in the work that I do um, is is the importance of culture to everything? So I I, um, I I practiced law for quite a number of years, but was always uh, really preoccupied with organizational culture and how is it that you know we have these issues around women's leadership and advancement and diversity and inclusion year after year after year that doesn't change? And then you look at the generational piece and how um, that has become fraught with stereotypes and difficulties, and then issues around around and bullying and whatever it is. And really, when you fundamentally, when you look at all of these issues, you have to look at them under the umbrella of culture because culture is pervasive in an organization. It does, in fact, start at the top. It is transformed in all kinds of ways by how we role model, how leaders respond to crisis, how they treat people generally. And there, so there are countless ways in which culture just is systemically infused throughout organizations and stay that way unless you come across a leader who is intentionally devoted to trying to change culture to improve the workplace.
0: And when we look at those leaders that try and change culture and and sometimes succeed, what is it that we learn about how difficult the process is and what it takes, what the consistent themes are that it takes to change it?
1: Well, I think that people get preoccupied with the day-to-day job and then lose sight of the big picture. So, you know, you have a client obligation to meet, you have, you know, things to sell, all kinds of day-to-day distractions. But what's ironic about this is that, Without that day-to-day systemic focus on culture, you're harming the very thing that you're trying to do in your everyday life. Because if the culture isn't right, your employees aren't right. Their engagement is, is off. Their willingness to go the extra mile, their ability to function in comfort um, as their whole self is uh, uh, is impaired because of fear. So uh, it, it's, it's kind of, um, there's an irony to this, because the one thing that should be part of the strategic dna of an organization and and be infused in every decision that gets made is the one that kind of gets pushed aside because there are other things to do
0: and, and talk about the fear because that really goes to the heart of what you write about in in the shield of silence
1: Fear comes in many ways, and, and the fear, of course, from a person who may be the target of harassment or bullying, but another aspect of that fear that we don't talk enough about is the impact on bystanders and the bystander fear that results from seeing people seeing workplace colleagues who are victims of negative behaviors fearing for themselves as witnesses fearing uh for themselves if they intervene and try to help and uh and fearing for the person who of course who who is the actual victim but the the fear is basically if i stand up in this moment if i try to Stick up for another person or or defend myself in some way, will I be fired? Will I be demoted? Will my office be moved to the boondocks of the organization and I lose all my previous uh, authority or opportunities uh, so it 's really a a, a a systemic fear that goes to the heart of what will change if I assert myself in this moment.
0: And one of the ways in which diversity within a workplace helps mitigate some of that.
1: Well, so what diversity does is it brings a number of voices to the table. It's hard to ha- it's hard to dominate when there are a lot of people at the table who don't look like you and who are able to challenge and speak up and participate in the conversation and share their different perspectives. I mean, one of the things that I talk about when I do training on unconscious bias is how important it is that people recognize that we all do better when we are able to be exposed to, our, to people who are different than we are because we will learn more. We will learn from other people's experiences. Everybody brings their own eye to a conversation, their own worldview to a discussion. And when you have richness of diversity at the table, you're going to come to a better decision. And there is a lot of research at this point that backs that up.
0: Talk a little bit about bullying and harassment in the workplace. and And what's different about it today? I mean, clearly these are things that have been going on in the workplace for a long time. Talk a little bit about that.
1: You know, that's a fascinating question because it's hard to know what's different when the silence had, you know, been so deafening for so many years. I think what is different as a result of that kind of Turning point moment with uh, Harvey Weinstein um, uh, accusations and the the just you know outpouring of other kinds of uh, behaviors that followed with other well known people. Um, what what's different there is that. Uh, people, I think, are much more willing to say, well, maybe I can speak up. Maybe there are other victims out there who can support me. Maybe it's, there is this is the moment where I don't have to stay silent. But beyond that, there, there had been such a culture of silence that it's hard to know what's different. And, and you know, the scary part is someone was telling me the story today um, about... Uh, a conversation she had with a very prominent woman in um, in her profession who actually said to her uh, this is a younger woman who said and the more prominent woman said you know women today just have to suck it up and then she proceeded to tell how she had told a uh, a rape victim that she ought not to pursue charges because of what it would do to her career. So, and this is, you know, we're in 2019 and these conversations are still taking place. That was terrifying to hear that. So we have to, um, I guess we have to be grateful that there's much more of a public conversation. You and I are having this conversation, but there's a lot to be worried about in terms of who is still terrified of being able to use their voice in defense of bad behavior.
0: Talk about that, te- that fear, that terror of, of speaking up, given that there is so much public conversation about all of this today.
1: I think part of the problem is what we see publicly. I mean, so let's use a very public, recent example when uh, Dr. Ford spoke up uh, about her experiences at the Kavanaugh hearings. And that was, you know, a, in in some respects, a repeat of, of what we saw with Anita Hill and Clarence Thomas, uh, a generation earlier, but it played out so similarly that women watching that, uh, I, you know, I was um, a part of so many email listservs and have so many conversations with, with women around the country. And it, there was really a shared systemic, sickening reaction. And then to have major leaders in this company mock her on the national stage was was so horrifying and I think set back really so much of the progress that had been made in the past year. The idea that the rich and powerful and famous uh could be mocking somebody who gave you know such heartfelt testimony whether you, you know somebody chooses to believe her or not um it, it, i'm not even getting to that point point although clearly i have my own opinion but uh, but the idea of being mocked for coming forward and talking about that experience is something that that women around the world really saw and and were uh, you know there were lessons in that There were not good lessons.
0: Which raises the broader question about how the workplace and corporate America is being harmed because it has become such a political issue. And because that tends to push it underground, as we've been talking about before, it has done so much harm to the corporate environment, to the business environment, because it has become such a political hot potato.
1: Well, sure. I, I think that it's up, however, to people in you know, corporate leaders, business leaders to remove themselves from the politics of the moment to say what what needs to be done in my workplace in this in, in this office to make sure that people feel safe and respected. I mean, that's really the, the, the bottom line. So we can easily take this, you know, the politics infuse the cultural reaction because it breeds additional fear and it breeds people being uh, responding in a way that uh, that's more negative than helpful. But if you take it out of that that realm and 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 corporate leaders say my goal is to make sure that I am providing a diverse safe respectful inclusive culture here and and here are the things i'm i want to do to make that happen then you remove it from that that political background and you're focusing on your workplace and the policies and procedures that will that will give you the opportunity to change culture in a positive way
0: because the culture to start with at all of these companies is always different does the solution always have to be customized or are there certain clear tenets that that businesses can adopt that businesses can do that that really have a a broader and consistent level of success?
1: So I think Definitely yes to the latter part of the question. I, I think customization works in everything because yes, every every workplace is different. But absolutely, there are certain uh, broad parameters that will um, will be applicable uh, applicable to any situation. For example, the kind of reporting policies that are offered and how uh, safe and supported. Uh, people feel throughout that process is, is something that uh, people can learn from each other all of the time. Do you offer bystander intervention training to make sure that bystanders understand how to safely intervene in a situation? Do you have, can you, um, have in place a policy that is vigilant about watching for retaliatory behavior not just after a complaint is made but three months six months a year down the road to ensure that a person is protected for speaking up so those are just a few examples and there are many many others we could discuss but but it, but it, it it goes to the point of there are basic principles that every workplace should have have to be able to move this forward. What is your
0: experience and, and what you've seen tell you about the differences between industries? Is it you know, the degree to which it is different in law firms than it is in tech companies than it is in, in the entertainment industry?
1: Well, I think what you see is how each industry, there is, it reminds me of um, when you're looking at colleges for your kids and you realize how much every college has its own culture, uh, its own feel. And I think that's the same for different industries. And when I was researching uh, the, the Shield of Silence, and I looked specifically at that question, what's going on in tech? What's going on in the medical profession? Um, I had just completed, uh, I was hired by the Women's Bar Association of Massachusetts to work with them on a survey on what's going on in law offices in particular. And, and what I found is that the negative behavior exists everywhere, and it's affected by the culture of how that behavior plays out, what, what kind of arrogance is involved, how, how people respond. But, but the, the, so the underlying harassment, bullying, bad jokes, xenophobic, you know, all other kinds of uh, negative remarks uh, exist, but, the, but there is a tone that might be different industry to industry. To what extent
0: is all of this impacted by the degree to which standards change over time and that when people come forward 10 years later, 15 years later, that, that certainly there, there's no less validity to, to their claim, but standards have changed over time and the way the public and, and, and even companies view it have changed. Talk about that disconnect and how that circle gets squared.
1: I, that's an, that's a, another really important question. I, it, it has to, it, everybody has to understand that because somebody finally feels safe enough to report something or speak up about an incident or an event, that doesn't make it less valid. If the circumstances were such that 15 years ago you wouldn't dare for your life, speak up and report something, but now you feel safe enough to do it. That should not invalidate or otherwise discount the the validity of the claim. It should still be investigated and followed up in the same way as a fresh complaint, because yes, the standards are evolving. And 15 years ago, More often than not, people felt they just had to suck it up and not be able to to take any measures. Today, it's a much more robust conversation, and I don't think that people should have to be in a position to push away very bad things that might have happened to them at a time when they simply had no way to be able to follow up.
0: I mean, I guess the broader question is, is there a statute of limitations on bad behavior?
1: Well, I think it's probably up to, to courts and, uh, or well, to, <laughs> certainly to legislatures in, in thinking that through. And I also would say it depends on the nature of the ba- bad behavior. I mean, we have seen sure. changing norms and changing statutory requirements uh, around um, certain types of offenses on minor children uh, with respect to uh, sexual assault. Um And other times we've seen... Uh, uh, changes in statutes of limitation. So um, I think it is an important conversation to have. I do think it is fair to have a shifting statute of limitation for people who uh, were impacted severely by something that happened uh, years ago. I mean I, and when we had this conversation I, we're not talking about oh so and so would you made fun of me and made me uncomfortable 15 years ago but there are uh, yeah we're talking about those types of assaults or relentless bullying that had tremendous impacts on the lives of people. And I talk to those people all the time. So they're, they're out there in very large numbers.
0: And the the other overlay to all of this, which you talk a lot about in, in the Shield of Silence, is the power dynamic, that this, at the end of the day, is often about power. Talk about that.
1: Well... Have all kinds of ways of asserting their power. Um, often, it's people who are very insecure uh, may or may not want to recognize that or deal with that level of insecurity. So instead, they they exert whatever level of authority they think they have. So we often see uh, people who become victims of somebody in a high-level position. But it's also important to note it, that it, I certainly came across many examples of this in the research, that power can be exerted by people who are relatively lower down and i mean that on the on the scale of you know positions and titles but maybe in a position to exert authority in some way or or in other ways exert themselves over other people with a with a very negative impact so power is is a a very elusive concept in that there's not one definition in the workplace, and it's not one title or one particular uh, uh, level of personnel that is more susceptible to negatively using their power to harm others. That that power dynamic can be as um, at any level of employment, it often, for example, can play out against uh, people of lower socioeconomic backgrounds by people who may be similar to them economically, but, but different from them in terms of majority minority culture. So it plays out at all levels in the workplace, and uh, we have to be careful not to just zone in on, you know, is it the CEO?
0: Lauren Ricklin. Her book is The Shield of Silence, How Power Perpetuates a Culture of Harassment and Bullying in the Workplace. Lauren, I thank you so much for spending time with us.
1: Oh, thank you very much. I enjoyed our conversation. Thank you.